And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome everybody to the Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today. Hey, it's Friday. Coming up to the end of the broadcast week. And uh, had a very interesting week indeed. Always uh, some heavy-duty uh, teaching. Uh, great stuff from uh, Carlo Broussard and William Albrecht. And uh, as you know, you know, we look at uh, defending the faith as uh, being athletes, you know, preparing ourselves for battle, preparing ourselves for uh, being able to give a, a good explanation for the hope that's in us. And so just like when you're working out, when you're training, you want to finish your routines just as strong as when you began them. And so that's why I try to approach this show because I... I, I want to finish out the broadcast week strong, and indeed, we're going to do that with another William, William Hemsworth, uh, which we haven't talked to in a little while. William, as you know, is a convert to the Catholic faith, and we started a discussion on the creed, and uh, we're going to pick that up again. So, yeah, very good stuff. I mean, hey, let's begun. Why not do some pretty intense catechesis on the fundamentals of the faith and especially, you know, those creedal statements that we recite as Catholics. Fortunately, we kind of go on to uh, automatic pilot whenever uh, it comes time to recite the creed, when actually we should be fully engaged and really uh, professing with all our heart, our belief in the amazing things about the Trinity as it's been handed on and crystallized by the body of Christ the church. So William Hemsworth's going to be joining us on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, we're going to do kind of what we always do. We're going to look at a finding the fallacy, but since it's Friday, we switch things up just to get, you know, a different uh, approach. We uh, switch from an informal fallacy to a propaganda technique. Today's propaganda technique is called milieu control. So we're going to talk about milieu control. Very, very powerful uh, apology, or not apology, excuse me, a, a propaganda technique uh, used a lot today. And also, we're going to meet an early church father. Today's early church father is ancient Pope, Pope St. Damasus I. So, hey, got lots of great stuff in store for us today. And uh, I want to begin, like I always do, by welcoming you all to the show, beginning with our uh, all of you listening on radio, and of course our live stream peeps, how do you do? It's great to have you with us. And lest I forget you podcast people out there also, welcome aboard. All of you listening around the world and uh, in the future via podcast. And indeed, uh, all of our programs are archived and put up into the uh, the cloud, into the internet uh, realm, so that you can access our shows and a great way to do that uh, there's many many different ways by the way but for me personally the best way to do that is through virgin most powerful radio.org the, the website of virgin most powerful radio 
First off, you get updates on all the awesome conferences that Virtual Most Powerful produces throughout the year. And, of course, you should avail yourself of those if you can. And uh, also, it's got all the programs Virtual Most Powerful produces right there, including hands-on apologetics. So that means, uh, you know, when life happens and you can't listen to our whole interview, uh, for, for example, William Hemsworth today, but you want to, all you have to do is just go to virtualmostpowerfulradio.org, click on Hands-On Apologetics, and pretty darn quickly, uh, this show will be uploaded there, and you can listen to it, you can download it, and take notes, do all that great stuff. So, great, great resource on the web for you. Please avail yourself of that. We live, we're so privileged to live in the time that we are that we can access great information at our fingertips, and so take advantage of that also you know it's friday i often give a plug for my youtube channel on youtube uh, called apocrypha apocalypse the little channel that could um it's it's a really cool micro focused uh apologetics channel we don't talk about mary and the papacy and stuff on that channel normally we don't unless it has something to do with one of those seven old testament books that Protestants had removed from their Bibles. And so that's what the focus is, in, uh, folks, the Old Testament canon. And we go through the whole history. We go into all sorts of details. We answer objections. And we also debunk videos out there trying to support the Protestant canon. And for, my, uh, for me personally, I think the canon is really at the epicenter. I mean, if, if you can tackle the canon competently, um, there really is, uh, uh, the, the whole Protestant house of cards is essentially false because they've essentially removed the word of God for the sake of their tradition, something that they accuse the Catholic church of often doing. So check it out, folks, the Apocrypha Apocalypse on YouTube. While you're there, please leave comments. Uh, give us a thumbs up if you like it. And, uh, of course, if you want, you can subscribe. Uh, our subscription, uh, we're past the 4K mark, which is totally amazing. I didn't think we'd get anywhere near 1K. But, uh, you know, but it's growing, thanks be to God. And that's important to grow that channel because that experience gives greater exposure it'll show up on more search feeds and uh who knows maybe we can help our separated brethren come back home by accepting the fullness of the word of god that includes the deuterocanonical books so please do that if you could um also the official dojo mailbox can't forget that if you'd like to get a hold of me the sensei the official dojo mailbox is questions at hands on apologetics.com and i do try to answer them uh, I've been a little under the weather, so I'm a bit behind, but I, I am trying to answer, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. All right, so enough about that. Let's begin our Finding the Fallacy, which today, of course, being Friday, is a propaganda technique. It's called milieu control. And quite simply, what is milieu control? It's an attempt to control social environment and ideas through the use of social pressure. And this can come in many, many different forms. See, one of the most influential factors for us humans, the things that motivate us to think and do certain things, is not purely intellectual. As much as that would be awesome, 
It's not. You know, arguments and evidence go only, only go so far. We are far more influenced, by the way, by our surroundings, by our social network. And so if you can manipulate the social environment in which people live, you can direct the way they think, they act, they do, they buy pretty much anything uh, by cr- uh, controlling the surroundings. And, man, like I said at the introduction to the show, um, this particular propaganda technique is being used and uh, very effectively in our society today on social media, on television, radio. Um, they, what they've done is they created a, a kind of artificial environment in which Catholicism is the bad guys and Christianity is the bad guys and uh, enlightened social uh um, what do I want to say? Enlightened humanism, atheistic humanism is the only good guys in town. And they do it by distorting history. Uh, they do it by uh, various, uh, you know, platforms and things like that. Uh, it's so massive, I can't even begin to describe the different ways. But if you can control the social environment, you can control people. And uh, so <clears throat> it's up to our, jo- our job as Catholics to... Uh, since we follow the truth, to pass along the truth and give them an opportunity to have a, a red pill moment, right? Get out the matrix, because that's essentially what it is, folks. The matrix is just another uh, way of thinking of milieu control, okay? Except it's not plugging your brains into a computer. It is uh, controlling the social environment. And that is our propaganda technique for today, the milieu control technique. Uh, let's meet our early church father, shall we? It is Pope St. Damasus I. Uh, Pope Damasus is remembered for having commissioned uh, Jerome's translation of the scriptures. Um, as you know, the Bible at that time in the 4th century in the West, of course, circulated in Latin. Unfortunately, uh, the Latin text had become somewhat corrupt by uh, copyist errors and so on and so forth. And so the Pope felt it was necessary to make a fresh translation uh, from Latin, uh, Hebrew and uh, Greek and Latin. And he commissioned the greatest biblical scholar at the time, St. Jerome, to do that. And that eventually becomes what's known as the Latin Vulgate, which is the official translation of the Catholic Church. It's just FYI. Pope Damasus is also well known for changing the liturgical language. So, yes, he is one of those vernacular popes, only uh, he didn't change it from Latin to English. Uh, he changed it from Greek to Latin. So uh, he he instituted a new vernacular because, after all, Greek had fallen into disrepair at this point in time in Christian history, and the lingua franca was Latin, so the common language of Latin. Uh, he's interested himself in adorning the tombs of the martyrs and composed numerous metrical epitaphs, generally referring to them as epigrams, and he had engraved in uh, marble slabs by a skilled calligrapher, Furious Dionysius Philcolus. Uh At present, there are 59 such epigrams, and uh, they are accepted as authentic. Uh, among uh, Damas's literary works, besides the epigrams, there are also 10 letters and synodal uh, encyclicals, including one known as the Decree of Damascus, which affirms the duty of the family. 
And coming up next, William Hemsworth. We're going to talk about the creed. Stay tuned. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-On Apologetics. And we're going to talk about the creed. And uh, since it's Lent, it's great to dive into, um, you know, the, the basics of the faith and something that we recite often, but I don't think we really totally engage in what's being said. And to help us do that, we have a good friend, William Hemsworth, with us. William is a former ordained Baptist and Lutheran who converted to Catholicism while attending seminary. His husband and father of four who's passionate about his faith. He's an author, blogger, and podcaster. You can check out his stuff at williamhemsworth.com. Also, he has a great YouTube channel called The Bible Catholic, so check it out on YouTube. And, and William, welcome back to Hands-On Apologetics. Oh, thanks for having me, Gary. It's always fun to be here. How you been? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm sorry I had to bump you. Uh, you. You were scheduled to come on and unfortunately got hit by bronchitis and was out of commission. But hey, I'm back in the dojo and everything's fine. Well, glad to hear it. And no worries. It's understandable. It's glad, glad you're on the mend. That's all that matters. Yeah. So how's life in uh, Tucson? You could brag about the weather. I would love to brag about the weather, Gary, but you're probably warmer <laughs> than we are. <laughs> I um, doubt that. What do you have? Well, right now it's 55. Um, uh, but okay. on on Sunday, it's we have a chance of snow on Sunday, actually. Oh, Wow. Wow. So, and, and a, about a week and a half ago, we had a couple days where the low was 25. So we've had oh. some winter, we have, we had some winter storms come through here. It's been a very unusual winter. We actually had a, a, a combination of a, a snow day plus a traffic day about a week and a half ago. It was been, it's been very interesting, but yeah. it, all in all yesterday was 71. It's one of those things where it's spring one day, it's winter the next, but it is what it is. It's all right. Yeah. Another month, it'll be fine. Yeah, good, good. No, Tucson's not super high elevation. It's not like Flagstaff, right? Not like Flagstaff. My kids are actually on the way there right now for a, a robotics <laughs> competition. They're supposed to get a foot of snow on Sunday morning. Right. But t- Tucson is right around 4,500 feet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, yeah, yeah it's 27 here, so I'll, I'll take 50 degrees anytime. Okay, yeah. yeah 55 now, <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. It's fine. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, we and the bad part is we just started our discussion on the creed, and then uh, you were kind of come back and, and continue. Unfortunately, we have a bit of a gap, but maybe you can kind of bring us up to speed, and, and, and we'll just jump right back in. Yeah, sure. So we, um, we last time we began talking about the differences between the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, because both of those can be said at Mass. The most popular one is the Nicene Creed, of course. And the Apostles' Creed is, is a little shorter, and there's 12 articles in it. And legend has it, it was one article for every one of the 12 apostles. That's why we have the 12 articles. But each of those have a, a different piece about the faith. So the, like, let me pull it up here, about the necessity of baptism, for example, who the divinity of Christ, things of that nature. These are something that's all... They're in the creeds are very important. So Article 1 of the Apostles' Creed, for example, um, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It affirms the the existence of God and declares that God is triune. And there's three persons of the Trinity, a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it states that God created everything in our universe. And then Article 2, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Jesus is God's Son. 
the term Lord implies divinity, and Christ means God saves. All of these were things that were taught from the beginning of the church. They just happened in the fourth century to put them into word form as a catechetical method, to be, not to teach the faith. There was no, the Bible had not been fully compiled yet, as we know, when these things were came to be. So one way to teach the faith was to have these creeds. You go through them one by line. You teach through what they are. Article three in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus was conceived by the Holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So we're affirming the human nature of Christ and, of course, his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And not only that, the Holy Spirit. Um, there was a big issue in the early church of whether the Holy Spirit was uh, divine. And in, in both creeds, he's considered Lord. And Lord is a term used for God. And this is also important when we get to the Nicene Creed later on in our discussion, because there was also a point where it was taught that the Holy Spirit was not active prior to Pentecost, which, of course, we know is not true. Right. So all of these all of these articles go through ex um, aspects of the faith that are very important. And some of the main differences between the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed is the... Um, emergence of heresies in the early church, particularly with Arianism, because the Council, the Nicene Creed came from uh, Council of Nicaea held in 325 and 381, um, Nicaea II or Constantinople, Council of Constantinople, Constantinople. Let's talk today, William. All right. Um, <laughs> that is a toughie. <laughs> yeah, I teach it to my RCIC kids and they're like, What? Why? Like, I had to go through it a few times when we were talking about the creed, having them pronounce it a few times. But Arius taught that Jesus was um, a, a creation, that he was created. And, of course, it's not true. And that's something that the, our Jehovah's Witness friends actually believe today. So they've carried, they've carried Arianism all the way up to the present day. So for those that think that that ancient heresy is not around anymore, it sure is. And they're knocking on your door every weekend. If they haven't already, they will at some point. But what's very interesting with the creed is that it was formulated before, like I said, before the books of the New Testament were actually compiled. And of course, we have Athanasius' 39th pastoral letter in 367 that said these books were canon. But these creeds were around prior to that. And we, I think we're so used to having the Bible now and thank God we do have the Bible. We can just pick it up now and read it whenever we wish to. But that wasn't always the case. And we, I think we lose sight of that, of how the early church actually functioned. There were, there were letters here and there, and there were some people maybe had a bunch of them. But for most part, people weren't able to read. Um, it was oral teaching, and they had to memorize stuff. And one of the ways they were taught the faith was the creed. So before you were baptized, you had to memorize the creed and say that you believed these things. And I, th I think we lose sight of that. That's why it's a good thing to always learn about the creed, um, dig into it, just to actually know what we're stating every time we go to Mass, instead of just going through the motions. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and just going through and stating it at a habit instead of reflecting on it, because it really is, it's a prayer. I mean, when you really think about it, there's so much in there who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what Jesus did for us. He rose from the dead. 
uh, the four marks of the church, what the church is, all these communion of saints, all of this is in there. There's so much, there's so much depth we could get into. I mean, just the first line of the Nicene Creed, I believe. What is belief? I mean, really, what what is belief? I mean, there's three types of belief. We could say a belief that has no difference. So, like, I believe that there's a Los Angeles. I grew up there. I know it's there. But what does it have to do with someone in Iowa? They believe that there's Los Angeles. Who cares? We believe it. But whatever. It doesn't matter. A uh, belief that has a difference. Okay, I believe exercise is going to make me feel better. But that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. I mean, I do it. But it doesn't mean someone's going to do it, right? Right. Or there's a belief that demands a response. So I believe in God. So if we say, I believe in God, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to go through our lives like that doesn't have any bearing on us? We're just going to go through and do this sin and that sin. Or is that belief in God going to elicit a response from us that since I believe in God, I'm going to do what he says. And I'm going to make, make sure my, I'm going to do my best with his help to have my life reflect that belief. Hmm. So just that very first line of the creed, especially in the season of Lent, Gary, can be very powerful just to reflect on. Who is God in your life? Yeah. Is he, is he, I had a, I had an interaction with an atheist on TikTok a couple days ago. And, you know, some internet atheist's favorite terms for God is sky daddy for whatever reason. But is he just a guy in the sky that maybe we, we pray to once in a while when we really want something or is he Lord of our lives? Is he master of our lives? Something we really need to ponder. Who is God? What has he done? What has he done for us in this season of Lent? I think that's something good we could reflect on just in that very first line of the creed. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. And in fact, that is the most important because uh, unless you get that sorted out first, all the stuff you say afterwards really changes. I mean, are you just listing a, a list of facts or right. list of facts that's important? Or like you said, is this, you know, ground zero for reality? Right. And so the next line of the creed in one God, I believe in one God. Of course, during the time that this creed was compiled, um, smack dab in the Roman Empire, how many gods were in the Roman Empire? I mean, we can go back in history and list hundreds. How many nations around had hundreds of gods? I mean, just in the Old Testament, how many nations around had hundreds of gods? Monotheism was a, really a novel idea, but we believe in one God. So God revealed himself to Abraham and Moses as the one true God. And so just like our, just like our ancient Hebrew friends, they start off with the Shema. Hero Israel, there is one God. We believe in one God. Yeah, we believe in a Trinity. Trinity is not three gods. We believe in one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, it, 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 the creed builds on itself all the way throughout. So I believe. What do you believe in? I believe in one God. Who's the one God? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What have they done for us? Eh, just re Going through each of those things, I mean, who's the father? The father created the, he's the creator of the universe. He created everything. He's the father of humanity, created mankind. He's a loving and caring father. He wants us to be with him. He sustains us. He makes us his children through baptism. So the God of the universe who created everything around us, which is impressive enough as it is, wants a relationship 
with us. Who am I that God wants a relationship with me? Well, he made me. He loves me. He died for me. He wants me to, he wants to be with him. And when we say, I believe that, that is something that elicits a response. We need to, we need, we need to repent from what we're doing and follow, follow the person who wants us to do this because he's done so much for us. He's the almighty one. I mean, he's universal. He created everything. He rules everything and he could do anything. And sometimes we, we, we take these words for granted. I mean, I was talking to my RCIC class a couple weeks ago as they're preparing for their first communion. A couple of them are getting baptized. One is getting confirmed. And they're like, why are you here? Well, I believe. And one of them said, I believe. He's a senior in high school. Like, what, what do you believe in? And he was stumped. Like I, like, I had three eyes on my forehead. And so we started going through the creed. Like, okay, I believe. Who's God to you? And he started saying all the things that God has done in his life. I'm like, now what are you going to do about it? And at that point, I think he got it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. We're chatting with William Hems. We're talking about the creed. More to come right after this. You listen to Hands-On Apologetics. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with William Hemsworth, talking about the creed. And, uh, yeah, very interesting story, William, right before the break. Um, you know, it makes all the difference. It's one thing just to know in your head that uh, God's the, we have God the Father who cares about us, sustains us in existence. You know, but we often live as if that's not true. And, man, if we right. could just... Live as if it really is true, because it is true. Uh, that would just radically change our lives. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, because at that at that point, it's more than just the intellectual knowledge. Like it's something that we've experienced. It's something that we experience with our soul, not just with our with our mind. Mm-hmm. And having that intellectual knowledge is important. I'm not discounting that at all. I mean, that is a very important thing. I mean, God wants us to love him with all of our mind, but he also with all of our soul and with all of our strength. And so when we can internalize that and realize all the things that God has done for us, like for example, Gary, um, 10 years ago, I was in a serious car accident. I rolled my truck five times on black ice in Southern Arizona. How that happened, whatever, I don't know. The 10th anniversary of that was on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. And I reflected on that because that was a very emotional time of my life because two months from that point, my twins were born. I almost didn't see my twins. But God brought me through that. God sustained me. I had some injuries, yes, but I am here. It's 10 years later. They're nine years old now. They're going to be turning 10 in a couple months. A lot has happened. But I can point to that time in my life and many others where God has brought me through. I see his fingerprint on my life. And so just looking back, and all of us have all of us have some kind of experience that we could point to where God has brought us through. And we could we could apply that and we say, okay, God sustains us. This is what God has done for me. So all of us could do this, and it's gonna make the creed mean so much more when we say it at Mass. I mean, it, it definitely will. Yeah, 
You know, if, if I could inject to, uh, I know personally, it's really easy to see the hand of God in the past. It's it's almost impossible to see it right now, but often right. when you're reflecting on the past, you look and you're like, wow, God, you're amazing that you got me through you know, X, right. Y, and Z. Uh, but, you know, when you're in the midst of it, you don't see it. This, this is very true. And that's those are those times where we can look back and say, okay, he helped me then. I know he's going to help me now. I know he's going to help me in the future because he's always there. Jesus said he's going to be with us until the end of the age. And I fully believe that. I know many others believe that. And as we're going through it, yes, it's very hard to see that. But having that faith that he is going to see us through, in a lot of ways, can help us get through that. And then we'll realize that as well. But yeah, like you said, Gary, very true. It's hard to see it now. It's hard to see it when you're going through it. But for those that are going through something, cling, cling to Christ, cling to him because he will get you through and you'll you'll see it at some point. Definitely will. Absolutely. And speaking of Jesus, the creed has a lot to say about Jesus. What a segue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, along with who who's who is God? I mean, yeah, we talked about father, but who's Jesus? So there's a lot of people out there will say that will still say that Jesus never existed, which if you study history, even from secular sources, that's definitely not true. Even secular sources point to the existence of Christ. But who is Jesus? Was he just a good teacher? Was he just a guy that got crucified? So who is Jesus? So the creed helps us reflect on that. So I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus means you know, the Lord saved. And so this demonstrates his humanity because Jesus was a given name. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man, fully human. And so we become accustomed to calling Jesus by son of man, for example. Um, and that's that's a term from Daniel. So we become accustomed to calling the son of man by the name of Jesus Christ. But Christ wasn't really a name. It just means anointed one. But who is Jesus? We call him the only son of God. And so the only son of God means that Jesus's relationship to God is different than ours. God, to God the Father is different than ours. Jesus is fully man full, and fully God. And throughout the Old and New Testament, there have been two special titles reserved for Jesus, Son of Man and Son of God. Creed goes even deeper. God from God, light from light. True God from true God. Begotten, not made. One in being or consubstantial with the Father, as we say now. Now, this was something that was a result of the Arian heresy that was that was going on at the time. So when we hear eternally begotten, we think about the future. You know, eternity is something that's in the future. But eternity also goes all the way back, not just forward. I think we, we kind of lose track of that sometimes. So Jesus as God has existed, always has. Never ceased to exist. He always was. And so sometimes during Christmas, we tend to think, okay, Jesus was born, and yes, don't get me wrong, he was born, that that was the beginning of his existence. That's not the case. That's when he entered humanity. But Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, always been around, always existed, always has been. So Arius, though, he, he wrote, the Logos is not eternal. God begat him, and before he was begotten, he did not exist. So St. Athanasius re replied, with the beginning of the Logos was not an event in time but in the eternal relationship. And so when the, count, the, 
when the fathers of the council were deciding on the wording, you know, they were debating and they had homoousios, homoousion. So homoousios is where we get the word consubstantial, would we say consubstantial with the father during our, during the mass now. So for those that don't know what consubstantial means, same substance, same essence, okay? Jesus and God, same, same, as my middle schoolers would say. And there was another one, homoousion, where he's similar. Something that's similar is not the same as. So very important distinction there. So that's why we say consubstantial is because the substance of Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father are the same. Both are God. Both are equally God. So we really need to understand that when we're talking about who Jesus is. And through Jesus, all things were made. This is a direct quote from John 1.3. So through Jesus, all things were made. So this means that the Son is not a created thing, but he is an agent through whom all created things came into being. So maybe we lose track of that as well. Who created everything? God did. Who's the word of God? You know, through, through him, all things were made. Well, through Jesus, all things were made. For, our men, for, our, for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Sorry, Gary, I'm just going line by line. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Jesus' sole purpose for becoming man was to forgive sin for the salvation of man. He did this through his once and complete sacrifice at Calvary. That's, that's very important for our non-Catholic friends, because sometimes, Gary, we're accused of sacrificing Christ again and again and again in the Mass. Church teaching, it happened once. End of story. Okay, I just wanted to say that. Um, so prior to his sacrifice and ascension to heaven, the gates of heaven were closed. So Jesus descended, according to the Apostles' Creed, the, the Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell. Now, it wasn't really hell he descended into, it was the place of the dead. So when we read in Peter, Jesus went to preach the gospel to the people in prison. We can kind of make that correlation there with the Apostles' Creed. And sorry if I'm jumping back and forth between Apostles and Nicene Creed here. <clears throat> hey, no problem. <clears throat> Excuse me. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. So, from the first formulations of the faith, the church has held that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This is important. I mean, this also shows the humanity of Jesus as well. Where he's fully God, fully man from the moment of conception. He didn't become God, God when he was born. He wasn't Mary didn't give birth to the person of Jesus, and then somehow the Spirit of God descended upon him later. That's not what happened. That's That's been dealt with in early councils forever and ever. It's still around. And Gary, you you wrote a great book on this about the Virgin Mary. I just want to plug that book. I'm reading it in Amazon and on Kindle right now. So check it out, everyone. Gary goes into this stuff in great detail. But what was the greatest work of the Holy Spirit? It's kind of an interesting question when you think about it. He was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. So through the incarnation, the union of God and man was was is united because it was divided initially by the sin of our first parents. So through the incarnation, we were united again. Um, just like St. Paul calls Jesus the new Adam, this kind of goes along with that. The creed kind of picks up on that theme. 
Now, I, I like the I like the next line. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Why do we pick on Pontius Pilate here? I mean, I, I was I was asked that by one of my RCIC kids, a fifth grader. Why Pontius Pilate? Like, what 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 was his importance? Well, he was agent of Caesar. It was under his even though even though he washed his hands of the situation, it was under his direction that Jesus was crucified. So, I mean, we could say, why pick on Pilate? Wasn't it Herod who tried to slay Jesus at birth, you know, resulting in the slaughter of the innocents? Wasn't Pilate under Herod's jurisdiction? Jurisdiction? Wasn't it the Pharisees who tried to trick Jesus? We can go on and on and on. Pilate was just a representative of Caesar. And symbolically, Pilate represents all of those who contribute to the passion and death of Jesus. And really, that's all of us. It's me. That's my neighbor. That's all of us. All of us have a hand to play because Jesus came to die for all of us, for all of our sins, so we could be forgiven. Now, Jesus died under crucifixion. Why didn't he die some other way? Crucifixion, plain and simple, was the worst possible death that one could die from. Because it was not only was it painful, but death came by suffocating. Basically, you drown in your own blood and body fluids. It, it was a horrible way to die. And it was publicly humiliating, and it was reserved for the worst of criminals. But regardless of the crime, Romans could not be crucified. But for Jews, it was even worse, because as Deuteronomy 21-23 says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. And we're in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, we'll hit pause right there. We're chatting with William Hemsworth, talking about the creed. More to come right after this. Back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with William Hems. We're talking about the creed, and uh, you were on the crucifixion, crucified under Pontius Pilate. Of course, that nails it down historically, right? Uh, that right. this is a fact of history. And, uh, you know, crucifixion is 100% fatal. Yeah, I mean, it would be silly to say my friend was crucified and someone asked, is he okay, right? I mean, no one survives crucifixion. Uh, the, Ro the Romans were good at what they did. They made sure everyone yeah. died. I mean, they broke their they broke legs to make sure people couldn't push themselves up and breathe. Now, with Jesus, they didn't have to do that. He was already dead, which is why they stabbed him in the side with a spear to make sure that he was really dead. Mm -hmm. No one, no one walked out alive from a Roman crucifixion. It wasn't like what we see on Good Friday some t some days now where people are taken back down after a little bit. No, they made sure that they were dead 100%. There was no way they were getting out alive. No way. Yeah, yeah. And so with certainty of his crucifixion, we move to the resurrection. Amen. On the third day, he rose again. That's the next line of the creed. And the resurrection is central to the faith because without it, it all fails. It was just another guy that died. But Jesus rose under his own power, proving that he's truly God. He rose on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures. And that, that line, in fulfillment of the scriptures, um, that wording came directly from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 4. Um, show that Jesus came to bring to fulfillment all the Old Testament scriptures which pointed to him. So, as scriptures say, he, he came to fulfill, not to take away. He came to fulfill. 
but he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This also has scriptural implications because that phrase comes directly from Mark 16, 19, John 20, 17, and fulfills Old Testament prophecy of Exodus 13, 22, and Psalm 110, verse 1. So very, very important. And the term seated at the right hand of the Father is important because it's, it signifies the Messiah's kingdom. And it's the fulfillment of the prophet Daniel's vision concerning the Son of Man, which says, To him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And he will come again. And he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. So we need to be ready. We don't know when our time is going to be up. And there's a bunch of different there's a bunch of different theories out there about you know when Jesus is coming back. I mean, the rapture is one of them. That's one that you and I have talked about on this program before. So if people want to check out in the archives, they can. But the most important thing, live every day like today is your last. Because one day you're going to be right. Yeah. So always be in a state of grace. Always be ready to meet God at any time because one day you're going to be right. So just always be ready. Don't don't slack. Don't say um, if you have the opportunity to go to confession today for some mortal sin that you know you did. Don't don't wait till tomorrow because you don't know if tomorrow's going to come. So take care of business. Make sure you're ready to meet God at any point. So God's kingdom, his, his kingdom will have no end. It's going to last forever. Okay, it's gonna last. It's eternal. It's gonna last for eternity. And then the creed moves on to the Holy Spirit. So we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life. So the Son and the Holy Spirit are called Lord. So that's an Old Testament term for God. The Father and Son, Holy Spirit, are the three persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the Giver of Life in two distinct ways. So we see in Genesis two seven, creation of man, and in John twenty twenty to twenty three, new life given through the forgiveness of sins. Then we probably get to the most controversial part of the creed, especially with our Orthodox friends, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So, of course, we're still talking about the Holy Spirit here. So the original version of the creed reads, who proceeds from the Father, which is a quote from John 15, 26. The phrase, and the Son, was later added by Pope Benedict XVIII in 1024. So why was this added? This is, this is like the question that's been raging on for years and years and years and years. So during the early councils, and I see in Constantinople included, the church was struggling to clarify, you know, the incarnation, the incarnate word of God, uh, the mystery of Christ, the Trinity. So we believe in one God, divinely revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Trinity being equal, distinct, and sharing the same divine nature and existing for all eternity. And so when we look to scripture, we can see some, some things here. When we find the Holy Spirit is referred to the Spirit of the Son in Galatians 4.6, the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8.9 and Philippians 1.19, for example, the Spirit of the Father in Matthew 1.20, and the Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians 2.11. And so with these citations, we can show the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Son and the Father. And also... There were some Eastern Church fathers who, we, by reading them, we can see they kind of had the same concept. So, for example, St. Gregory the Wonder Worker in 265, he wrote, One Holy Spirit having substance of God and who is manifested through his Son, 
And then we have St. Athanasius, of course. He wrote, we understand the special relationship of the Son to the Father. We also understand that the Spirit has the same relationship to the Son. And so this, to the Son part, is known as the filioque, and it's a big dividing point between the Catholics and Orthodox. But there is scriptural and early church precedent to actually have that in there. It doesn't change the belief or the nature of the Trinity. Um, but I don't know, in my mind, it kind of clarifies a little bit, especially when we read through Scripture and we and I went through some of those verse citations earlier. So I'm going through this kind of quickly because I know we're running short on time. Yep. Yeah, you can do good. Right. And with the Father and the Son, he's worshipped and glorified. Again, talking about the Holy Spirit here. Uh, the phrase is further declaration of the Trinity and with the Holy Spirit being worthy of worship. The equal worship as the Father and the Son. He's spoken through the prophets. So this is something in addition to the Apostles' Creed. It was the Holy Spirit that gave the prophets the grace and courage to speak the words of God. And then we, the last parts of the Creed, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church is one because Jesus established one church. Not a thousand different churches. He established a church. All right, one church that teaches one set of doctrines, which must be the same as those taught by the apostles. And it's the unity of belief in what Scripture calls us to in Philippians 1.27 and Philippians 2.2. The church is holy. The church is holy because Jesus is holy. That doesn't mean everyone in the church is going to be holy. Um, I don't know about you, Gary. I'm a sinner. Okay, I mess up. It happens. I am not perfect. But the church, we have the sacraments established by Jesus to help us on that road to holiness. Our Lord Jesus Christ is holy, and he's called us to be in holy with him through his body. His body is the church. And we're called to fellowship with him through the community of believers, by the sacraments, by the preaching of the gospel, and by praying and being prayed for, and by forgiving and being forgiven. And then the church is Catholic. Catholic means universal. That word came about for the first time by St. Ignatius in about 108 AD. And again, St. Irenaeus used that later on in 175 when he's defending the against the Gnostics. And the church is apostolic. The church Jesus founded is apostolic because he appointed the apostles to be the first leader of the church. And their successors were to be its future leaders. And we see those leaders now. And the bishops and, and the pope who have the apostolic succession, they could trace their lineage all the way back to the original apostles. Uh, we confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, repent and be baptized. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And that's in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Baptism is the first sacrament given of forgiveness of sins because it unites us with Christ. Baptism removes sin including original sin that leaves a mark on our soul, which brings us into the God's family. We will, we look to the resurrection of the dead. Belief in the resurrection of the dead has been a central element of the Christian faith from its beginnings. And you like this, Gary, second Maccabees seven, nine, the King of the world will raise us up to live forever. And then yeah. we look forward to the life of the world to come heaven. We look forward to heaven. And lastly, we say, Amen. Amen is an oath of affirmation. Amen means I believe. So when you're talking, when you're reciting the creed at mass and you say amen, you're saying you believe everything that you just said. So I ask you, everyone listening, go back, read it line by line. Do you believe everything on there? If not, do some research. 
read, study. The church has all kinds of documents. There's all kinds of free resources out there just discussing the creed. Look into it more. I'll, I promise you all of your objections to it are going to be answered. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and uh, that that becomes the core part of our, our faith in Christ. And, uh, yep. yeah, very nicely put. Uh, by the way, really quick, uh, you know, before you became Catholic, did you, when you recited the creed, when you said Catholic, did you include Catholic? Was it small c Catholic? It says one holy Catholic. Yeah, it was it, in the Luth, in the Lutheran Church. I was a part of. It was a small c Catholic, and just because the church was universal, it was no meaning towards the Catholic Church or Rome or anything like that. It just meant the church in general. Um, of course, as Baptist, Baptist. Um, they don't, don't actually. Recite. They don't actually recite the. They don't recite the Nicene Creed, <laughs> and, which is really strange. I mean, some church, some Reformed Baptist churches will recite the 1689 London Baptist Confession, for example, but they won't recite the Nicene Creed. I always find that some, interesting. There's a church in Phoenix that does that. Jeff Durbin's church, for example, they won't recite the Nicene Creed. They'll recite the London Baptist Confession of 1689, though. But. Uh, but um, it, when I was growing up in the Wesleyan Church, um, the creed was nothing we went through. Uh, we went through the divinity of Jesus, of course. We were taught the Trinity and everything, but as far as creeds, we didn't we didn't do any of that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, so, <coughs> got a little bit of time left, and as always, you know, we want to find out what's going on uh, with the the Bible Catholic Channel and your other ministries. Well, we have some things coming up. Um, I'll be on William Albrecht's channel on March 13th. We're going to be talking about uh, Freemasonry. So that'll be a lot of fun. We've been trying to hook up for a long time, but my crazy teaching and basketball coaching schedule has not allowed it. But that's coming up. March 10th, I'll be on a YouTube channel called Catholics for Rednecks, giving uh, my conversion story. So that'd be a lot of fun. But, I mean, as far as everything else, I started writing another book, which is just awesome. the intro. Uh, it's an introduction to every book of the Bible in a thousand words or less. So hoping to get that done. Six points of why, how it applies to our Catholic faith. Just to get people, hopefully, who are intimidated by reading the Bible, give them an overview so they can dive in to sacred scripture and start enjoying it and making it a part of their devotional lives. So that's kind of what I've been up to. Wow, that's exciting. That's awesome. Well, hey, William, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. It's always fun, Gary. Thanks for having me. And like you always say, this is a fast hour. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> is, my friend. All right. Uh, William Hemsworth, check it out. The Bible Catholic Channel on YouTube. Also, go to WilliamHemsworth.com and check out all this great stuff. Wow. Yeah, this was a quick hour. Coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk coming at you with the Terry and Justice Show. Thank you so much for listening. And God willing, we'll be back again next Monday. Here's the thing we call hands on a Bye-bye, everybody.